And it is a great joy to be able to be here today to be able to speak to you. And today we are carrying on our Winners and Losers series. And we're going to focus in today on 1 Corinthians. And today we're going to ask a very simple question. And that is, how do I qualify for and access God's kingdom? Now, in order for us to answer that... We're going to look at three particular questions. We're going to break it down into three. So the first being, why do I need to understand the message of the cross? Secondly, how do I qualify for God's kingdom? And thirdly, how do I access God's kingdom? So before I get into the word, let's pray and let's ask God to open his word to us. Lord Jesus, we love you. We love that you meet with us. And we love that we can read about you and your word, and your word is powerful. And we love that you will work within our hearts. And I pray, Lord, as we, as we listen now, that you would be speaking so powerfully, deep, deep into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so if you've got your Bibles, um, why don't you turn with me to 1 Corinthians And we're going to be reading 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verses 18 to 31. It's also going to come up on the screen uh, for those of you that use that. Okay, 1 Corinthians 1, starting at verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written... I would destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let Um, The one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Now, Paul in this passage, he was writing to the Jews and the Gentiles. And 
he was writing to them because they needed to know about Jesus. They needed to know about the kingdom of God. Now, the Jews were there with their heritage, and they thought that they had access to God because of their heritage, because of, they were the chosen race. And the Gentiles, they were, they were the, um, Paul was talking to, they were an intellectual bunch. Possibly they, they felt they didn't need God's kingdom. Possibly they'd studied it and they thought, actually, we know better than what is written. And they didn't believe that a savior would die on a cross. But Paul was saying, actually, guys, you are missing something here. There is this elephant in the room that you are not seeing. You are missing something. Let me show you. So Paul sets out to take them right back to basics, to start with the cross of Jesus. Verse 18 says, for the message of the cross. Now, for us to be able to answer the question that I started with, how do I qualify for and access God's kingdom? We need to understand what Paul is saying by the message of the cross. So that first um, that question that I posed, why do I need to understand the message of the cross? Well, fundamentally, as God looks at us, he sees the mistakes that we make. He sees the mistakes we make in this world, and he sees the sin in our lives, so the things we think, we say, and we do that go against God that are wrong. And Romans 6:23 tells us, "For the wages of sin is death." So ultimately, those things that we do wrong, there is a consequence. There is a consequence. And the Bible tells us it is death, but, but there is hope. The verse goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And actually, as we approach Easter, it's such an exciting time when we can remember um, the cross. We can remember what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus, born in a stable, um, born to a teenager, not born of noble birth. He was born to give us access to the Father in heaven. See, up until Jesus, for, for people to be right with God, they had to keep the law, the Old Testament, they had to sacrifice to God as a payment for their sin, for all the things that they'd done wrong. But then in walks this character, Jesus, and Jesus changes everything that they know. He lives on earth as a human. He came to die on the cross, and ultimately, he was that ultimate sacrifice to take that punishment that you and I deserve for all that we do wrong to give us that access to the Father in heaven. So then we can be right with God. So actually, as God then looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. He sees our sin paid for because of Jesus. Now, Chris last week spoke about coming to the mercy seat of God. And I started to dig around a little bit into what that actually meant. And in the Old Testament, the mercy seat was the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. We've got a picture of it that's just coming up on the screen. 
And the Ark of the Covenant was um, where God dwells. And nobody was allowed to touch it because they were not worthy to do that. And in there was the um, stone tablets, which were the Old Testament, the law that God had given. And this was kept in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, in the center. And it was, it was where God came down um, and his presence was with his people. So there'll be this image of cloud coming down and it'll be like God was sitting on the Ark of the Covenant, on the mercy seat, the cloud would rest on it. And as I said, pre-Jesus, for us to be right with God, we had, to, um, we had to give our offerings that were then sacrificed. And the priests would then lay them before the altar, before God. They would intercede on our behalf. But when Jesus came, his death and resurrection gave us access to the Father um, himself. No longer needing a priest to take the stuff to the mercy seat where God dwelt, because we, had di- we have direct access to God, and we can come to that mercy seat, not a physical place like that, but within us, we can come to the mercy seat where God dwells, knowing that Jesus died on the cross to give us that access. In Romans 1.16, we read, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. So we know the gospel. We know the gospel is a message of Jesus on the cross. It is the power of salvation. And we need saving. That is why I asked that question. Why do we need to understand this? We need to understand it because we need Jesus. We need saving So the next question, how do I qualify for God's kingdom? Well, we know that well-known saying, nothing in this world is free. Yeah, often people say it. There'll be um, something that looks too good to be true. And then um, somebody gets stung and it's like, nothing in this world is free. Um, and then you're like, ha, ha, ha. Anyway, um, so, but we, we do. We have to earn things, don't we? So education. And we have to study. We have to take exams. Um, and we have to, to, to pass, to qualify. To, um, we have to do that. And then we'll get a piece of paper. This was my first day training um, that I got. Very proud of that one. Um, so I worked really hard. Um, and then um, I got this lovely bit of paper. I really like the gold bit as well. Um, very shiny. Um, so nobody hurt themselves because I'm right here, so I can't, I can't do anything right now. Um, so, so we have to earn it, don't we? So for, for me to be able to, to get this, my driving license, um, let's avoid the picture, there we go. Um, I had, to take, I had to take lessons, I had to take a theory twice, um, I had to take a practical test and only get two minors, thank you very much. Um, and then I qualified to get my, my little bit of plastic um, that says that I will never have an accident ever. Isn't that great? Qualifies for me to get my bank account. For me to get this particular bank account, um, I had to be over 18. I had to um, have a certain amount of money going into my account each month. They don't matter how much goes out, but as long as there's money going in, they're happy. Um, That is what qualified me um, for my bank account. And as we look at this world, so often we have to earn things. We have to invest in things. And we have to um, get that qualification. But in this passage that we've read, Paul talks to us about how we can qualify for God's kingdom. And it is good. Are you ready? You got your pens ready? Because this is, this, is, this is gold 
This is gold. Okay. In the passage, we read in the beginning um, that Paul was addressing both Jews and Gentiles. So in essence, he was saying, so the Gentiles being the non-Jews, he was saying, this is for everyone. It's not just for the Jews. It's not just for the Gentiles. It is for everyone. Verse 24, that Christ, the power of God, is for both Jews and Gentiles. So it is for everyone. But the thing with the Jews and the Gentiles, they were actually and um, putting their worth and their status in things that were not of God. So the Jews were boasting, and, um, and they were um, saying, we qualify for God because we are his chosen race. He set us apart. And the Gentiles were um, boasting, and they were saying that we are wise, and we're really intelligent and really intellectual. Therefore, we've studied it, and we know what um, Jesus is about. We don't believe in him. We don't think that, um, that we think he was a bit foolish. Um, we're wise. And what Paul was saying was, your earthly wisdom won't qualify you. Just because you've seen signs and wonders... Just because you're a chosen race, that won't qualify you. The only thing, the only thing is the cross of Jesus. Now that may sound really harsh from Paul to say that, but actually Paul was very clever in the way that he writes. He starts with verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So everyone that was sat there listening, they were like on board. They were like, yes, those of us that are being saved. Paul had, had hooked them in and they were on his side. And then he allows the power of the cross to work. He wasn't going to start a debate. He wasn't going to argue it with them. He was going to allow the power of the gospel, the Holy Spirit to work in their hearts. And all they had to do was believe. So let me explain. Paul addresses the issue in verse 23. He says, we, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews. So he was identifying the fact that they didn't believe in Jesus as the Son of God. Why? Because they saw him as weak. They thought there would be this amazing person that would come and would literally just wipe out everything. They looked at Jesus, Jesus dying on the cross, and they discredited him because they saw him as weak. And the foolish, the verse goes on saying, the foolish, and foolishness to the Gentiles. See, they saw Jesus as foolish because he died. Again, they looked at him and they discredited him. But Paul tells us in verse 25, God's perceived, that's the word I've added in there, foolishness is wiser than humans. And God's perceived weakness is stronger than human strength. So Paul almost has this like left hook, this kind of thing that would stun them and make them all go quiet. And he's like, ah, he's talking about us. The Jews took pride in their heritage. The Gentiles took pride in their intellect. For them, it made them somebody. It made them important. It made them a winner. It was everything that they wanted and they didn't need anything else. But the trouble is, they'd missed the point. They'd almost got these idols that they'd set up, these things that became so much more important than Jesus. And as we think about both groups, we need to start actually looking at how that applies to us in our daily lives and how uh, many of us look for our status or our importance in earthly things. 
I read this um, sad but true story about a guy called um, Cosmo Gordon Lang. He was the Archbishop of Canterbury from 1928 to 1942. So at this time in, um, in our history, there was no specific time to retire, unfortunately. Um, and when he was in his 70s, he... Uh, was getting a bit frail, and he decided that he was going to step down from office, and he was going to um, stop being um, the archbishop. And he was talking to one of his colleagues, and he said this. Um, he, said, he said something that actually, if we were to um, hear it, we would think hopefully an archbishop would have overcome this. But listen to what he said. He said, I have been somebody, a winner. I shall now be a nobody or a loser. And as we look at the world and we, in our humanity, we try to be somebody, we try to be a winner, and actually, we often, on other people, we put that somebody, that winner, that nobody, that loser label. We often aspire to be known for something, to be famous, to be important in this world. How many of us get our status from our work? That's often just when you meet somebody new, that's the first question you ask, isn't it? What do you do for work? And for me, there's two conversations, a little bit embarrassing to say, but um, I'm going to be vulnerable with you guys right now. Um, and um, it goes like this. So if I'm talking to a non-believer, it will often be like, so what do you do for work? And I'll say, I work for a church. Stunned silence. <laughs> they just don't know what to do with it. And then I start panicking, and I'm like, well, did you know that I'm also a registered children's nurse, and I trained at a top London hospital? Um, and then the conversation goes on, and they start asking me questions, and it's exciting, and, and, and I take my status from my qualification, from my registration as a children's nurse. That's where I get my status. And I know that conversation will flow from that, and to me, that's really, really important. The other conversation I have, which is a battle that I'm constantly working on, is um, when we talk to Christians, um, and they say, so, what do you do for work? And um, I sit there, and I think, in my head, I'm thinking, oh, I work for a local church. But then when something comes out of my mouth, it is awful. I say, I work for a large church. <laughs> and we are cool. And we are contemporary. And then I just think... What have you just done? What have you done? My status is in this place. It's not in Jesus. And when talking to other church leaders and other youth workers and children's workers, the first question is often, how big is your church? How large is your children's ministry? And again, I take pride in that, but that is not right. That is not what God wants. That is not of this world. That is of this world, sorry. That is not of God. And as we look... At the passage, we are the same as the Jews and the Gentiles, as the Archbishop. But how many of us take our status from coming along to this church? How many take our status from maybe being in a sports team, maybe our children's ability to do something, or how great they are, or their achievement? How many of us take our status from our class, our wealth, or where we live, the environment that we live in? Now, none of these things are wrong that God has blessed us with. But it's when they become more important than Jesus that we need to reassess, that we need to come back into line with Jesus. See, we look for our importance in the world so often, and we aspire to be so much more. And this is exactly what the Jews and the Gentiles were doing as we read this passage. 
The Jews thought they were winners because of their heritage, and the Gentiles thought they were winners because of their intellect, and they all thought that they didn't need Jesus. They thought that they could do it alone. Verse 26 goes on to say, Not many of us were wise and influential by human standards, and not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And he's almost pointing to the Jews, the strong and the Gentiles, the wise, and saying, the foolish things of the world will shame you. You have it wrong. See, Paul wasn't being mean in this. He wasn't being mean at all. He was desperate for them to understand that they could truly become a winner so they could access God through the power of Jesus on the cross. So what makes us a winner? What qualifies us? Verse 30 says, it's because we're in Christ that we are something. And that's what makes us a winner. That's what fundamentally makes us important. As we look at our lives, we may be sad about our status. We may be sad about our intellect or our importance in the world, in the world's eyes. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, because of what Jesus did on the cross, in God's eyes, we are so important. We are so, so, so important. We are wise in God's eyes because of Jesus. We are somebody in God's eyes because of Jesus. We are a winner in God's eyes because of Jesus. Being saved, knowing Jesus, is the most important thing we can look for in this world. So going back to my conversations that I have with people about work. Um, what if, what if the first thing that came to my mind um, and I said, when I was asked, what do you do for work? I said, I believe and follow Jesus. They might sound a bit cheesy, um, but actually if that was the first thought in my mind, not necessarily the words that I say, how would that change the conversation that I then have? How would that change the words that then come out of my mouth? Because the important thing would be Jesus and not me. Jesus then gives us this ability to boast in him. Um, not as the Jews and the Gentiles were doing, boasting in other things, not in the status of this world. But verse 31 tells us, we can boast in the Lord in what Jesus did for us on the cross because that's what makes us important. That's what takes us from a loser to a winner. Okay, so... And by illustration, who, who would like a fiver? Okay, over there. Um, I'm going to run it down, and I'm going to keep talking. Okay, here we go. A fiver. Complete free gift. Nothing. We're not going to do what Chris normally does and keep adding to it. Um, we're not going to do that. Oh, he didn't trip. Hey. Um, okay, so... A, free, a completely free gift. Now, um, when I said, who wants a fiver, um, there was a couple of hands that went up, and most people sat there and, and didn't say anything, um, and didn't put their hand up. But the reality is we all need a fiver every so often, don't we? Yeah? yeah? We all need a fiver. Now, maybe you were sat there and you thought, oh, I don't need it. Maybe you thought, I don't want it. I have enough. But we do. Just every so often, we need a fiver. And that question, how do I access the kingdom? Simply to answer the question, um, it's believe in Jesus, the power of the cross. And that's what gives us access to God, the power of the cross. That's what qualifies it. It's 100% grace from 
Jesus from God, Jesus dying on the cross. Grace defined as a free, unmerited favor of God as seen in the salvation of sinners. We don't need to earn our way to God. It's like that fiver. It's free. God gives it away to us. We need to be there putting our hand up, saying, I want it. I want that fiver. So as you go today, we're going to give you all a fiver. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I just wanted to check you were still awake and you were still with me. My, my, my wife or my bank balance wouldn't forgive me, and then if I tried to claim it, I don't think the church would forgive me. Um, so, um, so for the record, we are not doing that. Not doing that. Okay. Um, are the band around? Can they, can, they, can they start to make their way back up? See, it sounds simple that we just, need to, we just need to accept it. We just need to accept it, receive it as a gift. But sometimes that can be hard. Um, I know um, um, I heard of somebody who goes up and down the country visiting um, church leaders and supporters of their charity. And um, they, they use it as a time to bless them. And they use a conferencing team in hotels. And they want to always bless the people that serve them, and often with a tip. And um, I heard the story once that... They went to give somebody um, a tip, and they point-blank refused to take it. A little bit awkward, to say the least. And the person said this. He said, no, you have already paid for it. But they desperately wanted to give that tip a free gift, but he wouldn't accept it. Another time, there was um, a lad, apparently in his 20s, um, and they went to give him a tip, and he literally burst into tears. And he said, in the six years that I have been working in conferencing, no one no one has ever tipped me. He took that um, tip with, with um, huge gratitude and thankfulness. See, Jesus gives us a free gift of knowing God, and we have to humble ourselves and accept it with thankfulness. And that's what moves us from being a loser to a winner. So as we start to reflect on this and as we come into a time of worship, I'm going to suggest there are, there are two things here. Two responses. Today, maybe, um, you're sat here and thinking, um, actually, I don't need God. I've always been brought up a Christian. I don't need him. I've read about him. I don't need him. I can do it on my own. But which person in the hotel are you? Are you the person that point blank refuses? Or are you the person who accepts with gratitude and thanksgiving? Who weeps? At the mercy seat, as we looked at earlier, who weeps because of the gracious gift of God. But there are also some of us here today, and I raise my hand to this one, um, who are in a place where we struggle and we're trying to get our acceptance um, from the world. And actually, we need to realign with Jesus. And we need to say, Jesus, you are everything. Because that's what makes us important, that's what makes us a winner. And for those of you that are visual, if we just say yes to Jesus, he gives us that certificate that just says, I qualify for you. It's not as good as my first aid one, but content is better, content is better. So as we worship, please, um, I want you to think of those two things, those two things that I've just said, and we're gonna pray with you in just a bit. Let's worship Jesus.